Good morning all, it's a beautiful Monday morning, nearing 7.30, and I've been awake for about three hours. I don't know why, but I think it's out of excitement at having my apartment back to myself again. Um, so my mom had been staying with me for a month, and that is three weeks too long to stay with anyone, uh, no matter how well you know them or how much you love them. In a tiny apartment in a city like New York, you really need <laughs> your own um, bubble of peace and serenity. And I wasn't able to have that for a month, but it brought me back to memories of similar situations when I was in high school where I saw no way out from the punishing school schedule and after school schedule and all that crap. Just being cognizant of your complete lack of agency and lack of um, means for escape, it forced me to research all the different ways in which I could escape. Um, and I somehow stumbled upon art. But ironically, even though I've achieved success in art, I find that the ties that you create um, professionally in the arts kind of mirrors the same bondages that um, I was trying to escape in high school. Like you, you work with either one gallerist um, and his team, or you work with several and their teams, and then it's always like a, a collaborative project, even though only I make the work, and yeah, it ends up being like a big production every time with unforeseen difficulties <laughs> and everything related to coordination. Uh, blah, 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 all that. Anyhow, I decided that I've already been on this path for like 20 years and it's no use trying to pivot into something different. I mean, painting is really the only thing I truly enjoy. Like, it gives me a sense of satisfaction and pleasure like nothing else. So to try to find that and replicate it in a different form is a pointless endeavor. So now I'm just doubling down on producing more, but with the same kind of intensity and heart that I had in high school when I thought this was my only escape 
from all the bondages that I was experiencing back in the day. Only this time, if I do achieve, you know, the impossible, which is to sell my work um, at like six or seven figures, which could happen, you know, in a day or a week, um, I think this time I'll be better prepared for the success because success is a hard thing to deal with. Um, all of a sudden you'll have all sorts of attention that you never had before from total strangers and then everyone somehow believes that they're entitled to your time and talent because you've alerted the world to you know your existence and what you have (laughs) so listen world even if I could I wouldn't be able to give you my talent And also, I don't see why you think I owe you paintings for free. I mean, if I could have a nickel for every time people thought it was a compliment to ask me for free work, well, let's just say I would have a lot of nickels. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I get requests for free work all the time, even from my family. I mean, and with family, it's difficult. You can't really turn down family, especially if they're paying for everything. Um, But then it's like, where do I draw the line? What are my boundaries? Um, I'm not really making work for the private enjoyment of my family. Um, because the work really does deserve and need to be out there in the real world where I can no longer protect it, but also that's the only way it can grow. So yeah, um, these are the thoughts on my mind this morning. I'm starting to feel a little fatigued. Um but I need to stay awake because I have a dermatology appointment in the morning to see about this rash that has cropped up on my neck and has spread all over my body. I'm just hoping it's not cancer or AIDS. I mean, those are really the only two, like, for sure dead-end diseases. Everything else, I think, is relatively treatable what i hate about relationships is how nobody likes to be controlled but entering into a relationship or negotiation or contract with another person means that inevitably there will be a test of wills and There will need to be a compromise in everything you decide upon. So something as simple as, where do we want to go for lunch? Um, 
seems innocuous, but there are so many elements that go into solving this problem of lunch, such as what time, where, uh, what date, and then what you order. Just the list of variables can be endless, and I, I actually hate I, I mean, I love and hate having too many options. It really depends on what my schedule is for the day. Like, if I want a work day in the studio, I cannot think about anything else. I can't really think about, you know, putting on clothes and leaving the house, even. And as for food, I just... I eat enough to not pass out from starvation. Like, that is my mindset from for when I'm in work mode. So, yeah, if someone wants to go to lunch, uh, the who, where, when, why, <laughs> all of that comes up. And then, because I don't, I don't want to be controlling and I don't want to be controlled. It's really difficult for me to give any input because let's say that day I'm feeling like a quick sushi meal or a quick noodle meal or I'm not even really interested in eating. The other party might take this as a sign of disinterest in them. Or they might see me as too high maintenance. Which I can be. I mean, I probably am. But it's coming out of, like, better intentions to not make trouble, if that makes any sense. I like to lessen the possibility of tension and trouble between people, between me and other people especially. I'm really just conflict avoidant, um, and yet my standards for what I want and expect are just insanely off the charts that it's better I've found in most cases to just shut up and take what I'm given. Kind of like being in a prison scenario. You you just shut up and take what you're given because you have no other choice. Um, and that's for something as simple as eating lunch with someone. I can't imagine like having to do this sort of negotiation on a daily basis for every um, activity. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine, imagine having a child and you are always expected to put their needs first. I mean, how is that even possible? And then you're supposed to play and interact with them 
but let's say they're learning about addition or subtraction unless you have skills for young children education i don't think you're going to have the patience or the interest to converse with a young child about these matters so yeah if i'm going to have a child i'm definitely getting a live-in nanny um who can also take care of cooking and cleaning um Yeah, I mean, what is the point of having options? The point of having options is not to, you know, randomly select from all of the options out there. It's to, the real luxury of having a lot of options and time is narrowing your focus on what you truly want and going after that. Because why would you waste your time with things that are not in your scope of focus? So being Asian in America, um, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> it gives you a perpetual identity crisis because well, depending on when your parents immigrated to America and how, you're going to have a vastly different life experience from most people. It was really eye-opening to realize that Asians make up only 5% of the population of America. Um, and then within this group are you know, vastly different cultures like Thai, Korean, J Japanese, Vietnamese, blah, blah, blah. All these countries with their own um, histories and their own history of conflicts with America. So then in America proper, with all of these different cultures mixing it's not like your average american knows the difference between you know north korea and south korea or the different islands of japan or the different regions of china i mean i hardly even know the differences between the regions of china no i'm f from there and i've traveled extensively so you know anyway <laughs> All of this ends up being like me lecturing totally random white people about the history of China, which, of which I do not know that much. And I mean, it's really hard to not get defensive because usually when white people ask me anything about my background, it comes with um, either overt or covert bias and racism. So then I feel like that puts me on this, like, 
uneven footing with them. And let's face it, I am on an uneven footing with white Americans who have been um, in America for many generations because my parents immigrated in, I think, the 90s. So we've only been here for, let's say, like 30, 40 years maybe 40 years so yeah you can't really compare 40 years to six or seven generations um what else yeah i feel like everyone feels like they are entitled to my life history immediately upon meeting me And since I'm pretty comfortable and I accept it and I expect it as well, I'm happy to give like a little spiel of who I am, where I come from, what my (laughs) uh, home region is like. Except it's ironic because, you know, I haven't been there and I haven't been there since like 2000, what? 2019 and I'm largely illiterate and I'm no means a scholar by no means a scholar in Chinese literature or history so I find it funny that that's what people are looking for when they meet me like oh you're Chinese you must know everything about China um I guess it would be equivalent to going to a random Midwestern white person and being like, can you please tell me about the history of your country? (laughs) Although America is a different beast because everyone is taught a different version of its history with a lot of the genocide and slavery and uh, segregation just whitewashed out of the books um and then there's that ever pervasive christian belief baked into the education and the law system where it's mostly protestant then christian evangelical then um the other Christianities. Uh, so I would I would venture a guess that a lot of Americans believe that um, the founders, the founding fathers, so called, were led here by the divine will of God. Um. So you have to keep this in mind when you interact with white Americans. I mean, I always expect them to pull out the Jesus card whenever they want. Or like, you just come to expect bless yous and amens and um, God willings and all of that. 
Yeah, I mean, Christianity is the default um, religion here, so if you don't know it well, then you'd better brush up on your Bible studies. Ten ways to live your best life in your 30s. Forget your 20s. We all know your 30s are where it's at. In the spirit of the iconic quote from Suddenly 30, <laughs> it's all about being 30, flirty, and thriving. And let us tell you, we're so ready for our Jennifer Garner moment. But let's be real. Between career, money, home, and travel, it's a lot to prep for when you turn the big 3-0. Number one, nail your personal style. If your 20s were all about fanny packs and bucket hats, then your 30s are about discovering your personal style. Say goodbye to fleeting trends or trying to achieve Instagram perfection and instead nail a style that works for you. We're talking everything from clothing to beauty and home decor. Ditch the fast fashion, drugstore makeup, or hand-me-down furniture you inherited from your flatmates and invest in quality, stylish pieces that, as Marie Kondo would say, spark joy. 2. Create a home you love. A home can be anything you want it to be. You might be renting an apartment, converting a warehouse loft, or building a tiny house. The possibilities are endless. No matter your living situation, it's time to level up from the student share house of your 20s with something more refined. The easiest way to do this is with furnishing and decor that reflects your personal taste. Nothing quite says slaying your 30s like a luxe king bed, statement velvet sofa, or the adulting pinnacle, a decorative rug. Our pick goes to the Bohemia rug. 3. Get around slow travel. European summer? Check. Contiki party in the USA? Check. Backpacking around Asia? Check. If your 20s were all about smashing your travel bucket list faster than a bullet train, your 30s are all about slow travel. Choose to revisit some of your favorite destinations, a week of the south of France, anyone? Or opt, in, opt for a wellness-based adventure with a yoga retreat in Bali. Whatever your wanderlust, slow travel is about taking the time to really soak up a city and culture beyond the guidebooks. 4. Check in with your career. Have you spent your 20s hustling up the corporate ladder? Or maybe you took a gap year or three to find yourself? Or are you an entrepreneur living the startup life? Whatever you're calling, take the time in your 30s to check in with your career, both where you're at and where you want to be. Take the risks you've always wanted to. Go for that dream promotion. Get that side hustle off the ground or shift careers altogether. Need some inspo? 5. 
get on top of your health. As that two wine hangover suggests, you're not a bulletproof 20-something anymore. Sorry. No more excuses. It's time to get on top of your health. We're talking the usual eat better, sleep more, exercise, and drink water, of course. But also, don't neglect the importance of your mental health. And while life can easily get in the way, your 30s are about ruthlessly prioritizing what's important. And your mental and physical health are arguably at the top of that list. 6. Figure out your dollars. Between student loans, rent, a mortgage, investments, superannuation, and savings, let's just say money can be complicated. No matter your situation, it always helps to have clear goals of what you're working towards and systems in place for how to handle your dough. For real-life advice on how to make the most of your coin, check out our money section. Blah blah blah, number 10, you do you. Stop trying to please everyone. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop stressing about what people think of you. Stop saying yes to things you don't want to do. And stop letting negativity take up your brain space. Your 30s are about being unapologetically you, taking everything you learned in your 20s and owning your confidence. Like the badass boss you are. So as a professional artist who has been working on my craft for 20 years, um, I feel like it's time to come clean about how shitty the art world is and how I've seen every kind of behavior on the human spectrum um, from other people and from within myself. I think what is fascinating about art, and I think everyone agrees to some degree, that is that art can show us our deepest, darkest, unspoken fears. Um, it can provide an escape, a fantasy. Um, it can provide... What's it called when you... It can be a cipher for deeper internal psychological workings of our mind and soul. Um, so I would say it's akin to spirituality or some kind of religion in itself. And what's shitty about the arts is you know, as in any hierarchy of power, there are maybe a handful of people at the top of the hierarchy who control the levers of power, who control the pricing, um, who control what is seen as valuable and why. And in many, in many cases, it's really arbitrary. And very few artists make a life 
long career out of their craft. So the ones that you see having shows over and over again, retrospectives or brand um, collaborations with big corporations, they've already reached the pinnacle of their success and are either dead, have been dead for several decades, or about to die. So that tells you a bit about the time scale that working artists, living working artists, are working within. Most of the time it's pretty depressing, but I always tell myself that I'm still considered young and I have until I'm 80 or whatever to be able to get some sort of recognition on a mass scale. Because for female artists, it's even rarer to succeed. Um, and the top selling female artists are, again, either dead, have been dead for several decades, um, or about to die. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's basically living a law of attrition where you all just hope you will be the one left in the end, left standing in the end. And whoever drops out due to lack of funds or lack of interest or motivation uh, loses. Unless you become one of those tragic post-death hero artists like Matthew Wong, for instance, who committed suicide a couple of years ago, and then since then, his work has skyrocketed to about two million um, per painting. But yeah, he had death in his favor. Um, somehow, for living artists, it's really hard to have any sort of respect or understanding from uh, broad audience, and this is part of the reason why I don't go out and I don't like to talk to people, and I hate talking to people about my artwork or what I do, um, because people generally have no idea about the contemporary art world, they have no idea how many years you have to spend in school. Um, how many shows you have to do to turn a profit, uh, the infin infinitesimally small chance of your show getting reviewed or seen by people. And, um, yeah, most people don't follow it, so they don't have anything to say. But, and this is the most insulting part, Everyone that I ever talk to about art, when they find out I'm an artist, um, generally tend to ask for free artwork. And 
I can't, for the love of God, understand why people feel so entitled to it. I mean, coming from my family, it m sort of makes sense, but it doesn't um, feel any better. I mean, yeah, my family supports me. So in a sense, they do have the right to ask for work, but I get asked by total complete strangers off the street um, or on the internet to like do free commissions or, you know, like redesign their house or, you know, just give them things for free. And I just don't understand, like, is it because of a lack of education or respect? Like, does it look easy to paint? Um, do degrees not matter? I don't understand why if it were any other industry, like for instance, I said I was an electrician or a refrigerator repairman, they ask for 250 an hour just to come look at your fridge or to look at your electrical wiring and people are happy to pay. I mean, not that I'm looking down upon trade jobs, but why is it that, you know, technical trade jobs are seen as so much more practical than jobs for the soul, essentially? I mean, if, if there are no standards for beauty, or value or meaning, then sure, I understand that looking at a Google image of a famous painting is the same to some people as buying artwork from a living artist or commissioning artwork from a living artist. But then why don't you just, why don't people just do that for themselves? Like either create a painting by themselves or just download something from the internet. Or you know what, even taking the time and initiative to download one of my works and printing it out. Like, I'd rather they did that surreptitiously than ask me to give it to them free of charge, if that makes any sense. I'm wondering if I even like men, um, or even consider them to be romantic possibilities, or maybe I'm just aromantic or asexual. I don't know. When I go through a dating app, I most, I mostly feel nothing towards like 99% of the photos of men that I see. Um, and then it eventually turns into disgust. 
like a mixture of self-disgust and disgust at the current state of um, man-woman relationships. So, yeah, I don't know. Call me a separatist, but honestly, I don't see why men and women need to live together or interact at all. Unless it's to work together, like in an office setting, um, or to raise children. But honestly, you don't need to coordinate that much with a partner, even when it comes to children. Like, you can have a nanny and chef and chauffeur, and all of that could be taken care of. So, like, I don't, I just don't really see where men fit into my life. <laughs> I also would like to add that men really should just rely on hookers and escorts for sex. Like, personally, sex only, like, is enjoyable if I'm in love with someone. Otherwise, like, it's as banal as taking a shit, you know? So, yeah, I mean, what's the point? Men really should just simplify their own lives by paying someone to come do the deed with them. Like, what is all this girlfriend-wife business? <laughs>